Our scripture text comes from the book of Exodus today, from Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 11. The Lord spoke to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, and in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Aholiab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given skill to all the skillful, so that they may make all that I have commanded you the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat that is on it, and the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, an altar of incense, an altar of burnt offerings, the basin and its stand, and the finely worked vestments, the holy vestments for the priest of Aaron and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrance incense for the holy place, They shall do just as I have commanded you. I remember when I first decided um, that I was going to seminary and I was starting to tell friends and family that I got a a particular reaction that was uh, surprising and interesting. Uh, I told my friend and, and his family that I was going to be going off to seminary, to which his sister said, isn't that where they bury people? Uh, uh, you're, you're thinking of cemetery, not seminary. And so I you know, had a good chuckle. Uh, but there is actually a little glimmer of truth that there is some level of things that, that die, that, that pass away, that have to be kind of cleared out, uh, that end up changing in your life uh, so that you might gain something new. Can you hear me now? Good. Um, I was thinking about when I went to seminary that uh, one of my professors in church history always had a saying uh, that he talked about the teachings that you had learned and that you had kind of received growing up. And he used the, the phrase mama in them, that Mom and them taught you such and such. And that was his little shorthand to talk about the fact uh, that we've all inherited something. And we don't always examine those beliefs that we've inherited, the things that mom and them have taught us. Uh, but seminary was a place in which we were invited to ask questions, uh, to, to find out whether we can examine those things and what things we still hold on to, what we hold on to as good and what things have to to disappear and and kind of be removed. And so there's a process of faith that is about deconstruction, about the things that you deconstruct, that you have to unlearn so you can learn something new. And I think for many of us, when we think about faith and science, uh, we're afraid of having to unlearn some things. And so we avoid it because we're afraid of what we might have to deconstruct. Uh, But we have to deconstruct some things that aren't true in order to build up what is true. And so the, the biggest fear in, in seminary is those that, that don't complete, that don't go through it, because you might have deconstructed some things but never learned how to put it back together again. 
And so that's such an important process, is how do I construct something? How do I create something? Because it's easy to deconstruct and to tear down, uh, but it is hard to build up. And so when we seek truth, when we seek to have faith together, what is it to create, to do, to construct uh, something good after this process of deconstruction? And so I thought I would just walk us through what we've talked about in this series. Uh, if this is the first uh, message that you've, you've been with us on this journey, uh, this is kind of a, a little glimpse and summary, but it serves as a reminder for us of what have we been talking about? Where are we going? What have we been doing here? We started out exploring faith and science by looking at the relationship between faith and science, that many of us have inherited this view that faith and science are on this kind of clashing war. And in this model of conflict, then it's just disregard, ignore, don't, don't think about all of these things. But we talk about there's other kinds of models that, where you can learn from, from what, what insights you gain from science Think about what that might uh, mean, what that might illuminate about our faith and vice versa. What does our life of faith have to bring to, uh, there, there's plenty of scientific experiments of like, what's going on in prayer? People feel calmer. They feel more at peace. What's going on in our bodies? And we can talk about that in science. And so, you know, there's more than just that model of conflict. And then we looked at bias that, you know, in the science world, we really need experiments not to be uh, biased where they, we've lost out some of the objectivity of the experiment, where we've kind of introduced something that creates uh, untruth. Uh, but in, in our faith lives and everything that we do, we have a, a lens that we see the world in. We see it through our own eyes, and we have experiences that shape that. And so we all have our own bias, and it's about learning and growing and understanding how our bias influences um, the way we live in the world and those around us. Uh, and so with those hesitations about being careful about our biases, we talked about being curious, going and exploring to learn, to, to see what insights there are in the world and what God has for us to grow at. And then we gave a cautionary note that sometimes our curiosity can lead us down some paths where we really should be thinking about doubting some things. Do I test things? Do I, do I figure out what's true and what's real? And when we stop there in the doubt, we've ended in deconstruction and we haven't built something new. And so we talked about being able to find awe that you realize there's something bigger than you, something that changes the way you think. And last week we talked about healing, that part of the reason why we do all of these things is so we might heal ourselves and the world around us. And so today's message is to help us to think beyond just the thinking but we are called to do, to create, to act out um, the insights that we gain in our life of faith. And so we are called to be creative, to act with God. And so sometimes on this journey of faith, we get stuck in the wilderness, we get stuck in the grumbling, we get stuck before we get to where God has for us, before we get to that promised land. And so earlier in Exodus we heard, uh, from God in Exodus 17, 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses, saying, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? It's easy on this journey of exploration to start grumbling and to never get to the promised land God has in store for us. And so 
while liberation from Egypt and from slavery was definitely a good thing, some and most of the people in the story start to question it, start to say, well, maybe I should just go back. Things were easier, even though it was bad. And so we don't want to get to that promised land, and we, we stop. But God has a calling and has a purpose and invites uh, people to be about bringing about good things, bringing about healing, uh, bringing about God's vision for the world. And so God has this creative mission, and he's talking to Moses about all of these things that Moses should do. But this little section that we read, God has a command and has a creative mission for someone else, not just for Moses. So God speaks to Moses, but not just about Moses. Some of our prayer lives, we need to remember that, that it's not only about me. And to think about praying about those around us, uh, how we can support them, what we can learn um, how we can enable them. But the Lord speaks to Moses and says, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I think that there are people who are worshiping with us who need to hear that God calls you by name and has a purpose for you. I love the precision of that language. I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I think maybe we should just contemplate hearing that for ourselves, of God calling your name. What is it for me to hear God calling by name Dallas, son of Lucian, son of Luster? What is it uh, for my wife to hear God calling you Beth, daughter of Alice, daughter of Isora? Insert your name there. That God is calling you not just you, that's part of the good news in the story is there are others called in this mission. But there is a personal calling and invitation. And I love that the language of family and tribe reminds us that we aren't just called to be a title, to be you know, this official position, but God calls people who have stories, who have families, who have relationships and it's so easy to criticize those who we just reduced to a title. And you can think of whatever authority in your life, bosses, state governments, national governments, anything that in which just a title is easy. Um, but sometimes a more nuance of what is it to be a person? Uh, what is it that someone has a calling and a family and a tribe? What I love in the story is that God doesn't just call Bezalel. He gifts him. And God doesn't just call people, God empowers them. Right, like if you have a calling, God is empowering you to do it. Uh, what on earth is it for us to say God is calling you to something that God is not empowering you to be able to do? Like that's, uh, we, but yet we have this fear when we go out and we try to live God's calling for our lives. And so the Lord says to Moses, I have filled him, Bezalel, with divine spirit. How much do we long to be filled with God's spirit? And you know the people in your lives that it, you know, they, their spirit is one of destruction, of toxicity, of everything that you do uh, brings people down. But what is it to be called with the spirit of God and the tone of God and that peace of God? 
And so God has called Bezalel, but he has also filled him with the Spirit. He has not just filled him with the divine Spirit. I have filled him with ability. Bezalel has the ability to do what God has called him to do. I have called him and I have filled him with intelligence. Sometimes I hear people treat intelligence like it's a bad thing. Uh, there's a lot of anti-intellectual movements in which we act like, oh, you know, you're, you're too smart for yourself, like, you know, stop thinking. But I have filled him with intelligence. And I've filled him with knowledge in every kind of craft. He has filled him with knowledge on how to do things. And I've called and I've filled and I've empowered. And it doesn't just stop there. Because some of us would like it to just stop there. Man, it's just great. I feel good. God's given me all this stuff. I'm, I know what I need to know. But God gave that calling and empowerment for a purpose. God says, I've, I've done this to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, to uh, work in cutting stones for settings and in carving wood and in every kind of craft. Some of us really limit what God calls us to do. Right, like here's the artist who is called to use their art to build up uh, God's, God's covenant uh, community uh, to point their eyes towards God. I have filled him, I have called him, I have empowered him to do some things. Now, none of that knowledge or skill is useful if it's left undone. And I don't know what it would mean to say, I know how to play the piano and I've never touched one. You know, like we, we don't really know something unless we are using those gifts, unless we're doing those things. And so what is it to be called? We have to be about the work of doing the things that God has empowered us to do. And so Bezalel is not alone in this calling. God tells Moses, Moreover, I have appointed with him a holy son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given skill to all the skillful. Sometimes you can feel alone in whatever that calling is, but know that God has called others into the mission Maybe you've got slightly different angles to that mission, but God is calling a community. And that's what gets so challenging whenever we turn our spiritual lives just so private and so just only personal that it's just us and God. But God has a team, a community, a family of people that God calls and brings into the world to complete God's mission for it. And so God says, I've given you the skill so you can do these things so that and then it lists all these things about the God's tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and all of these, um, these things and places that are meant to turn people's eyes towards God. I've done that, you know, it's for everything from clothes, you know, to chairs, all sorts of things. And God's calling for Bezalel is not just to endure the murmuring of the rest of the crowds. They're going to murmur throughout the story. God's calling for Bezalel is to be about the work that God has for him. And so they help build all of those things in the story. And the Lord tells Moses at the end of that passage we read, they shall do just as I have commanded you. 
It's not just enough to be chosen, to be filled, to be consumers. God calls those who he fills and empowers so that we might do, we might create, we might act together. I think sometimes we, we, we only get one side of the coin on things, and, and so doing without thinking is dangerous. You know, if, if I don't think about anything I do and I just run in, and that's our caricature for poor Peter in the Gospels, right? Our caricature of Peter is, I'm going to rush into this and then I'll think about this later. And some of us live our lives that way. We, we, we rush in and we don't think. And so it's dangerous uh, to do without thinking. But thinking without doing is negligent. If we think about everything and never act, we've neglected the people and the calling uh, that we are called to. So doing without thinking is dangerous, but thinking without doing is negligent. So what are we creating? What are we doing? You know, God didn't just call us to sit and to learn. God called us to sit and to learn and to process so that we might do something with our lives and in this world around us. And if God's called you to do something, God has empowered you to do it. So what has God gifted you what has God empowered you to do? I, I want to point out that that doesn't mean any of this is easy. Right? Learning is hard. Doing is hard. Uh, the scene in the wilderness in which people are grumbling and saying, I'd rather be back in slavery than be out here, Moses, what's going on? Like All of that is hard. But you are capable of what God has called you to do. That faithfulness, that God calls you to doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have the success that we'd love to see. You know, the, the, that wilderness community, uh, they don't get to experience the promised land like they would have liked to experience. The prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they get these callings. Go preach the gospel, the good news, uh, which we see in fruition with Jesus, but preach this good news, preach this message, but you know what? Nobody's going to listen to you. But I still want you to preach it. And so we can only control and do what we are called to do. But we can't control the outcomes. No matter how challenging this wilderness journey is, no matter how struggling and painful and, and uncertain you might be experiencing things right now, God provides enough for the journey. The manna that comes each day each, you know, when we pray our, uh, the Lord's Prayer of, you know, give us each day that, that daily bread that, that has that imagery of the manna, that God will give you enough. That God has called others. You're not alone, though sometimes you might feel it. The Spirit is granted to you. God's presence is, is so very close. But will we do what God has commanded us to do? How will we respond to what God is doing in us? And one of the things I think we should hear is to think about, you know, from Moses' perspective, he's hearing about all the stuff that God is calling in somebody else. Do we have gratitude and do we empower those around us who God calls? Uh, because sometimes it's easy to criticize those around us, but do we ever have gratitude? And in a series on faith and science, I, I should mention, do we have gratitude in uh, this season in which doctors all around the world are, are trying their hardest to figure out treatments and cures and vaccines, 
Uh, are we grateful for those who get up each day and go to work for things that aren't our gifts necessarily? They aren't necessarily our callings, but they are God's calling for their lives. And do we struggle when we think in that science and faith and conflict to see uh, you know, the scientists uh, who study uh, biology and physics and uh, climate and whatever it is, that they are trying to live out their callings and their gifts and their skills? Uh, and do we express some gratitude and generosity in the way that we uh, treat those who use their gifts and their skills that might be different than ours? What about our family members, the people that we, are, we get so close to that we forget all that they contribute to us? And we often forget it until the moment that they are gone. And then we sit around and we, we have eulogies and we have these moments where we think about how important someone was and do we think about that as much while they're still here, while they're still present and doing the work that they are called to do? Do we have gratitude for our coworkers? Because uh, most people in, a, in a, an environment in which it's not just a solo you know, employee that runs the entire company, but if you've got people who do accounting, you've got people who do sales, you've got marketing, you've got legal, and you've got all of these different occupations. No one person can do all of those as well as the people called into those positions. And do we, are we grateful for the people who supplement the work that we do? And in our church world, do we have gratitude for those whose gifts are different than our own, who bring their own contributions, who uh, uniquely live out their calling to benefit others, uh, whose sometimes their welcoming, smiling presence, which is hard in this season in which uh, when we enter the building we have a mask on and you can't see that same persona. But some people's just hospitality is, is so welcoming and so needed. Uh, and there's those who understand buildings and walls and pipes and there are people who understand tech and there's people who understand uh, teaching and history and there's so many gifts that God cultivates in us and calls us to use. Are we using those gifts and are we grateful for those who are around us? And so I want to invite us to be gracious and to be grateful and thankful uh, for those who serve out God's calling in their lives. And I want to invite us to not only be grateful, but to support, to ask how you can help to appreciate uh, those who live out their calling. But also, to look inward, the work is not just for everybody else, the work is for me. What is God calling in my life? What is God calling me to do? What is God's skills and gifts and, and spirit bringing out of me? And I want to invite you not to be afraid of this exploring uh, journey that God has invited you on, that God might need to deconstruct some things in your life so that God might build up something even better? And can we work towards healing ourselves and the world around us by saying yes to what God has uh, for us and for those around us? And so can we get off of kind of the, uh, you know, the sidelines, get off kind of the couch or whatever metaphor you want of just kind of just consuming uh, out of pews or wherever we think about that uh, and think about what can I do for God who has empowered me and called me? And so our creator who brings everything about is working in you 
and bringing out something in you. What will we do today? What will we do? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, the stories of each person who's worshiping with us, Lord, there's moments where uh, the people who are worshiping with us have been faithful and have followed after you. And Lord, we are grateful for them and for, we're grateful for the, our ancestors in the faith who were faithful to you. We're grateful for all who have said yes and who've walked on that journey towards your promised land, not knowing where the food and where the water might be next, but trusting in your, uh, in your goodness and in your provision. Lord, I know that there are some who are worshiping with us who struggle with confidence. I ask that you would give a spirit of confidence and empowerment to those you have called to mission to complete that mission. Lord, I ask that you would help those of us who like to learn and like to think but hesitate to act. Lord, help us to faithfully follow after you. And for those of us who struggle, who don't want to think about any of of these challenging things that you might have in front of us, Lord, give them a spirit of faith and confidence uh, that they can trust there is goodness on the other side of deconstruction that we might allow you to build something up good and new in us. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.